If you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 25 through chapter 4, verse 7. It will be printed in your bulletin as well as on the screen behind me. But we've been studying the book of Galatians this spring. And, you know, I'm really big on the question, so what? Who cares? What in the world does this have to do with Monday morning at 8 a.m. when I get back to the grind of life? That's the question we've been asking. Uh, We asked it last week, and we said that Galatians has everything to do with your Monday through Saturday. Because Galatians is about your identity, if you were to sum it up in one word. More specifically, the question of Galatians is this. Where does a person get their confidence? Where does a person get their significance or their identity or worth or value? Where do you get that from? And here's why that's important. Because righteousness is an enduring human need. You came out of the womb looking for righteousness. Everyone's looking for worth, value, and significance somewhere in some way, shape, or form. You're either going to find it in Jesus or you're going to find it in something else. And Paul is putting before us every week those two things. Finding your identity in Christ by faith or finding it in what he calls the law or uh, the world. And he does the exact same thing again in the passage before us this morning. Paul says that uh, you can find your identity and significance in being, and this time he phrases it, Not justification by faith, but he says by being a child of God. And if you find your identity there, it will lead to a life of security and joy and confidence in life. Or you can find it, instead of the law, he says you can find it, uh, you can find your own identity and what the world says. And if you do that, you will live like an, an orphan. In other words, you will live like an orphan and the results in your life will look like hiding It will look like insecurity. It will look like being fearful and anxious and lonely and discouraged most of the time. Two radically different ways of living that have an enormous impact on your life and the way you live. That's what Paul's putting before us this morning. So follow along with me as I read this incredible passage of Scripture. Galatians chapter 3, 25 through Verse 4 in chapter 4. This is God's word. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We're going to talk more about that phrase because he uses uses it again next week. We'll talk about that next week. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's Word. Let me pray and ask God to come and help us this morning through His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we really need this passage um, in our lives. And so I'm asking you to take this passage and to make it real to our hearts and apply it to our hearts this morning. In the midst of our fear and loneliness and discouragement and insecurity and doubt and feeling like a failure and struggling with the same sin over and over and over, we really need assurance this morning. In the midst of our suffering, even, Lord, we need to know that we belong to you. We need to be reminded of that. And so would you remind us of that in a very sweet and life-giving way in this passage this morning? We, we would be very thankful if you would do that for us. And we ask that these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, most of you have probably seen the movie or read the book, The Help. And the movie actually centers on an African-American woman by the name of Abilene. And Abilene is looking after and essentially raising this young girl, this girl named May Mobley. And May Mobley's mother, if you can kind of get the feel as you're going through and reading the book or watching the movie, uh, she's very neglectful. Uh, she's very self-absorbed and wants to do what she wants to do. And you almost get the sense that she really doesn't even want this child. Uh, that she would rather be doing something for herself and that this child is simply an inconvenience. And if you remember the movie, these scenes over and over when Abilene is putting Mae Mobley down for a nap or she's putting her to bed at night. Remember, she'll grab Mae, Mae Mobley and she'll look her in the eye and she'll say what? You're kind. You're smart. And you're important. See, what is she doing there? Well, you see, she knows that the message that she's getting from her mother is not that. And so Abilene, in, in her own way, is desperately trying to reprogram May Mobley's sense of identity. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in this passage in the book of Galatians. Because Paul knows that when we leave this place and when you get back on 8 a.m. at Monday morning and whatever it is that you do, the world is screaming at you that your identity is found in what you do or what you have done or what you are making of yourself. And Paul is trying to reprogram our identity by driving us deep into thinking about who God is and who we are this morning. And he does it by making this incredible statement, one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible, and definitely in the book of Galatians. He says that in Christ, you are an adopted son of God. Lots and lots of people, a lot smarter than me, think this is the climax of the book of Galatians. Listen to what's been said about our adoption. Sinclair Ferguson, our sonship, to God is the apex of creation. That's kind of a big deal. J.I. Packer, 
If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. Then he says this, adoption is the highest privilege. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And so that very quickly tells us something, that we could stay here all day and all into next week working out the implications and the application of this amazing truth of being adopted by God. But let me just mention three ways, three applications and ways that Paul wants to reprogram our identity this morning. He wants to remind us this morning of our sonship. Number one, secondly, of our security. And thirdly, of the Holy Spirit. So sonship, security, and Holy Spirit. Another way you could look at this is in terms of the Trinity. The Christian God, we believe, is three in one. And so you could think of God the Father adopts, God the Son, number two, point number two, secures our adoption. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit comes and applies that adoption to our hearts. Let's look at number one, the spirit of sonship. Look at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And if you read that closely, it should bring forth to mind a few questions that I think are important for us to clarify uh, this morning. First of all, okay, so does this mean that God is everyone's father? Does this mean that everyone in the world is a child of God? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the creator sense, and that God created all things and everyone, but no, in the adopted sense. Very clearly, you are an adopted son through faith, that verse says. And it's common for us, for people to use that everyone is a child of God, but that's not entirely true. And if we were to think about the Bible and run it through the kind of the lens of adoption, you could really kind of talk about the story of the Bible like this, is we are all born spiritual orphans, the Bible says. That we're born into sin, and unless God comes and works in our lives and adopts us, then we will remain spiritual orphans. And so we are born naturally estranged from the family of God. We are born in conflict with the family of God. And so this first section is you, we don't show up onto the scene as a son. We are made sons through faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's important. Secondly, and you might be thinking this, okay, Jason, but this sounds pretty sexist. All you've said is the word sons this morning. What happened to daughters? You're not being very politically correct. The Bible's not being very politically correct. This sounds very archaic and gen- gender exclusive. Well, lots of people have a problem with this. So much so that there's even new translations that attempt to be more progressive and they change this verse to read, in Christ you are all children of God through faith. I want to be sensitive to this, but in an attempt to be more inclusive, you miss the goodness. We miss the radical point that Paul is making here in this verse. Let's work this out. Hang with me. In Paul's culture, women were forbidden to inherit the family's wealth and the family estate. It went solely, exclusively to the favored sons. That's why adoption back then, they didn't adopt children, they often adopted 25-year-old men because they needed someone to pass on the estate to. If they had all girls, they would adopt a son. 
And this is radical here, what Paul is doing. Uh, he is saying that every, all of you are sons of God. And work it out, 28 and 29. All men, women, Christ, or slave, free, Jew, Greek, in Christ, you are all sons of God. And so he's being very culturally uh, subversive here in saying that the gospel levels the playing field, that the gospel comes and it undercuts gender and racial and economic and class inequality in every culture. In Christ, we're all the same. We're adopted sons, no matter your race, gender, or class. You've been adopted into God's family, and you have the same rights and privileges as someone being adopted as a son in the ancient Near East. And so what does that actually mean? Well, let's work it out. We could go on a long time talking about what that means, but two things I'll note is it means that you have all of your, when you got adopted, all of your debts were forgiven. And you became a legal heir to the entire estate. You inherited everything. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, you're an heir. Not only are you an heir, but you also get new clothes. You get new digs. Look at verses 26 and 27. You've been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. Side note, I actually like, in Galatians, I actually like the NIV, the New International Version, better. I think it communicates way clearer, and it does particularly here in verses 26 and 27. The NIV says that you have been clothed, You have clothed yourself with Christ. What does that actually mean? Well, it means that you have been, if you've been adopted by God into his family, that you have been united to Christ. I talked about that a few weeks ago in chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. That's a whole different sermon. You can check it out. We won't go into everything. But basically it means this. You've been united to Christ. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of you if you're a Christian. That should blow your mind. But it's an union that is so intimate that one of the ways, and he gives several images and pictures of this, but one of the ways, the only way he can know how to describe it is in terms of clothing. Think about how intimate clothing is. It touches you. And so he describes it by talking about you get new clothes if you're adopted into his family. You are clothed in Christ. Think about it this way. What you wear impacts how you're treated. What you wear impacts how you're treated. You don't believe me? Think about the sign that says, no shoes, no shirt, no service. You still don't believe me? Try on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of the fall to walk into the Alabama student section wearing an Auburn shirt. Or vice versa. Try walking into the Auburn section wearing an Alabama shirt. Do you think that would impact how you were treated? You better believe it. What you wear impacts how you're treated. And what Paul is saying is if you are a Christian, you now have the the clothes of Jesus. And they are royal robes. And no matter how much money you have in this room this morning, you could never afford this wardrobe. But God gives it to you as a gift of his grace. And when he gives it to you, look at what happens, verse 7, now you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
You're an heir. You have new clothes. You're an heir to God. And Paul is saying here is that you are no longer an orphan, but you are a son. And what's interesting, and we all struggle with this, is that we believe this in our heads. Yes, I know that it's true of me, but it doesn't translate into the way I live because nine times out of ten, you're saying I live like I'm an orphan, a spiritual orphan. Why? Because you've been deeply programmed into believing that you're an orphan. And that's what's natural to you coming into the world. And what's natural for us is to believe that God is harsh. And that's why Paul is trying to reprogram us this morning. It made me think of this story about Ivan Mishnoff, Mishkoff. And it, you might be familiar with this. It's kind of an old story, but it was in the 1990s in Russia. Uh, Ivan Mishkoff, when he was four years old, he was abandoned by his parents and so left as an orphan. And he was raised by a pack of dogs. True story. Look it up. And these dogs would protect him from harm. Uh, they would give him warmth during those cold uh, Russian winters that would get below zero. And the police desperately were trying to save and remind Ivan Mishkov that he was a child and not an animal. And so they would set up these traps, almost like trapping an animal outside of these restaurants, and they would capture him and bring him back into warmth and safety and protection and security that they could provide him. Three times he escaped from the police. And you know where he went? Right back to the pack of dogs. He couldn't talk. He didn't know the language. He only grunted and snarled. Fast forward, he relearns the Russian language, becomes a a member of the Russian army and is a normal person functioning like a normal person now in society. That's the end of the story. But here's the point. Ivan Mishkov was deeply confused about who he was. Deeply confused. He'd forgotten that he was a child and instead was living like an animal. And my question before you this morning is, have you forgotten who you are? Are you a child of God? But yet you're living like an orphan. How do you know if you're living like an orphan? Let me give you a list. See which one resonates with you more. Orphans. Fearful. Insecure. Anxious. Worry. Stress. Guilty. Shame. Condemnation. Sons or child, children of the king. Confidence. Peace. Intimacy with God, loved, forgiveness, accepted, security. Which one would you say most describes you this morning? Do you claim to be a son, but yet you're living like an orphan? Paul wants to reprogram your identity, and he is saying to all of us this morning, you're not an orphan, you're not a slave, stop running away from protection and from warmth and love and security. And remember that you are a child of the King through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul wants to reprogram and remind us of our security. Look at verses 4 through 5. 
in chapter 4. Paul writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman. What does that mean? Let me work that out. That just means Christmas. Born of a woman. Paul's just trying to say that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and came into the world. He became fully human like us. Back to the passage. Born under the law. What does that mean? It just means that Jesus was born like all human beings, obligated to keep the entirety of God's law. The security of God's adoption for us is seen in the fact that He sent Jesus to come get us. In the fullness of time, He sent His Son. If you've adopted a child, if you've been around an adoption, someone has to go. Someone has to go get the child. The gotcha day is a huge deal. And it should be a huge deal. And you can't wait to get your arms around your child. You're counting down the days. You're counting down the hours till you get to go get your child. Did you know that God thinks the same way about you this morning? He thinks the same way about you. He wants to be with you so desperately that He sends His Son from heaven to earth in order to come get you. And when we think about this idea of adoption, if some, again, if you've adopted or know someone that's adopted, you know something else that's true. Not only does someone got to go get them, but it's not cheap. That there's a great cost involved. That there's great sacrifice involved in adoption. And the same is true when we look at being adopted into the family of God. It costs God everything. Everything. The death of His only Son in order to bring you into His family. Look at verse 5. God sent His Son to redeem those under the law. Now let's work that out because this is important. The word redeemed means to release a slave from their owner by paying the full price for the slave. And if you've been coming around our study of Galatians, we know that the slave master that Paul is talking about here is who? The law. And so what Paul is communicating is that the very blood of Jesus pays the full price, meaning that he fulfills all the law's demands on your behalf. He lives the life that you couldn't live, and he dies the death that you deserve for your sin. With your life, you are brought in and made a son of God. Think about it this way. And I think this is important to work out. Because in the PCA, we're really good. In the Presbyterian Church in America, we're really good at focusing on the fact that God takes away our sin and that we get pardoned. But we miss the goodness if that's all we focus on. And let me illustrate with this. Imagine that you are a prisoner and you have been a prisoner your entire adult life and you're on death row and Jesus comes and he pays the full price, whatever it takes in order to release you. And you get released, and once you're released, you're completely on your own. And let's say the prison is in the middle of nowhere. And you've been in prison for 50 years. And so when you get out, you have no plan. Jesus got you out and says, have at it. You have no resources. You're completely on your own. You have no connections with getting a job, no way to get a job, no way to even get food. And so you're functionally 
you are living like an orphan. How would you feel if that were you? Anxious, panicked, insecure, alone, no one to take care of you. Look at verse 5. And normally we focus on that, but the gospel is so much better because look at verse 5 again. Jesus doesn't just release you from slavery. He doesn't leave you just to fend for yourselves after that. He says, come into my family. Come into my family. I'm going to give you all the adopted privileges of a son, of a royal heir. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says that Jesus comes and buys you back and takes you off death row, which is awesome. But then he takes the Congressional Medal of Honor and he hangs it around your neck. That's the gospel. That's why it's such good news. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, his son. Brian Chapel, who was the former seminary, uh, seminary professor at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, he tells a story about a couple that was on the mission field and they had adopted uh, a kid on the mission field from the nearby slums that adopted this, this boy. And at one point, early on, the boy had stolen his dad's comb. And that might not sound like a big deal, but the boy had the comb in his pocket, and they knew he had the comb in his pocket. And so they confronted him on it. And he lied and denied it. And then the moment of truth came, right? And they reached into his back pocket and said, you just lied. The comb was on, in your back pocket. And at that moment, the boy has a complete come apart. Complete meltdown. Runs to the other end of the house, and the mother goes looking for him and can't find him, and he's hiding in the corner of a closet, weeping. And the mother, through the closet door, says this to her son. Your behavior did not get you into this family. And your behavior cannot get you kicked out of this family. That's security. And friends, our instincts this morning, when we fail and blow it and do the thing that we never thought we would do, you know what our first instinct is? And we get it honest. We get it from our original parents. Remember Adam and Eve, when they failed God, what did they do? They ran and hid. And they covered up because they were so ashamed, and because they were so afraid. And that's exactly what we do. We run and hide. And like the Apostle Paul, this mother of this child was trying to reprogram her son's identity. And Paul's wanting to reprogram our identity this morning. And he's wanting to remind us that we're bought with a price. You're bought with a price. And your goodness didn't get you into this family, the family of God. And your behavior cannot get you kicked out of this family. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible security, friends. And that kind of security would, live to, would lead to a life of freedom and joy and peace and gladness and confidence. Thirdly, and briefly... The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is my favorite part. Verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of, of, of the Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Notice it's written in Aramaic. And the original language of the New Testament is Greek. So why is it written in Aramaic? Because that's the way Jesus talked to his Father. Think about that for a second. 
we get to address the Father like Jesus addresses the Father. That's what that's saying. And my question is, do you believe that this morning? It means, uh, Abba means daddy or papa or dad. It's a very intimate term. That means that with the creator of the universe, you get to actually go before him and say, Dad. And he hears you just like he hears Jesus. And if we grasp that, that will change our prayer life. The work of God is to adopt us into his family. The Son comes into the world and secures that adoption. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life to deepen the experience of our adoption and to allow us to enjoy it and be aware of it. It's very mysterious and hard to get your mind around. But when you trust God, the Spirit lives inside of you. And you know what His main job, He's got other jobs, but one of the Spirit's main job in your life is to remind you that God loves you. That's the Spirit's job. To remind you of how deeply God loves you and that you belong to Him. One of the threads, and you can trace this, of the Holy Spirit. Look throughout the Bible and almost always you'll see this thread of the Holy Spirit in references to the Spirit. Spirit tied to sonship and adoption. Mark chapter 2. The Spirit comes and comes over Jesus and says, This is my Son who is beloved and with whom I'm well pleased. And you might think, well, that's Jesus, of course. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit comes into your heart and says that you're a child of God, that you belong to Him, that you are loved. He bears witness with your spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, our passage this morning. Abba, Father. Translation, you know what the job of of the Spirit is? Over and over and over to come into your life moment by moment by moment and reprogram your identity and tell you, that God loves you, and that you're His child. The role of the Spirit in your life, you want to know what the Holy Spirit does? One of the things He does is take the things that you know in your head and make them real to your heart. He wants to make that a reality in your heart. Think about your children. When you come home from work, and we'll talk to dads, let's say, for example, because I'm a dad. And or come home from a vacation and your children are inside the house and you and they see you come you come in, you pull in the driveway, they make a beeline through the door and run out and you open the door and you lean down and what happens? You give them the biggest bear hug in the world and you're tossing them in the air playfully into the air and then you get your briefcase or backpack or whatever it is and you walk in the house and they are holding your hand so tight and they will not let go. Here's the question. Was the child more of a son or daughter in their father's arms than they were a few minutes earlier sitting inside the house? Legally, no. But subjectively, you better believe it. Subjectively, all the difference. In other words, their father's arms, in their father's arms, they were experiencing the father's love and care for them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and you're experiencing the fullness of the Spirit when you sense the Father's arms. When you sense the love of God in your life. And so what does it look like? How does it work? Well, it looks like this. If you were able, let's say whatever it is that you're going through, that you just are able to stop and say, wait a minute. If God loves me like this, 
If I am his child, then why am I so afraid? If I belong to God, then why am I so discouraged and anxious and scared? And why do I care if a particular group snubs me or gives me the cold shoulder at school or whatever it might be? If that happens in your life, that's the Holy Spirit. If you can talk to yourself that way, you know that that's the Spirit's work inside of you. So do you need your identity reprogrammed this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you a child of God, but yet experientially you're living like an orphan? If so, don't forget what Paul's saying here. If so, remember you're a child of the King in the morning when you wake up at 8 a.m. Say, I am the child of the King. And because I'm a child of the King, I'm secure. I've got great security. And that great security leads to the Holy Spirit living inside of you who will come and give you the sense and make all that the Father has done for you real to your heart. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just simply take what we've learned here that a lot of us know in our heads. We've heard it our whole lives, some of us. And make it real to our hearts in such a way that we start to believe it and so that we are changed. In Jesus' name. Amen.